Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Recurly is looking for a senior product designer in Boulder, Colorado. PRR is looking for a bench graphic slash visual designer in Seattle, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., or Alexandria, Virginia. Insider Inc. is looking for a graphic designer in New York City. And Gensler is looking for a CAD technician in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Companies, stop making excuses on your DNI efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these jobs that we just mentioned. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit Facebook.design. Now let's get into this week's interview. I'm talking with Tevin Sherland, an interaction designer in Almere in the Netherlands. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Tevin. I'm 25 years old. I'm from the Netherlands. I live close to uh, Amsterdam. I'm an interaction designer. I've been busy with my current education for like four to five years. I had half a year that I, uh, that I stopped, but I finished it like, like last week, Wednesday. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. But yeah, I'm an interaction designer, which means that I focus on the interaction between human and machine. That could be in experience, that could be in the physical, uh, how do people use their phones, for example, or how do people use their laptops. And it could also be on the website front. How do people interact with the website and how could I hone in on those expectations and make them do what uh, I want them to do? Nice. Congratulations on the recent graduation. Thank you. So when you graduated, I guess, you know, of course, we're recording this now during this pandemic. Was it a Zoom graduation? How did that happen? Because we have to have a physical graduation here. I have to wait till the like the first, like I think the beginning of September. Then we'll have a physical graduation. And before that, I just got a digital congratulations and uh, you made it. But nothing else, just emails and and uh, Slack chats. <laughs> Okay. How has it been sort of, you know, since the the quarantine and everything started? Scary. I have asthmatic bronchitis myself, so kind of one of the groups that is uh, vulnerable. Yeah. So I just kept my distance and I just tried to work my way through it. The problem with it was, was that I was busy with graduating and in the middle of it, suddenly uh, Corona came, COVID-19 came and kind of messed up the whole being physically uh, at the place where I had to work. Mm-hmm. But luckily, because I, I planned it right, <laughs> I was lucky that I planned it right. I already did all this stuff that I had to do at the place and I could just work out the rest from home. How is the coronavirus affecting the Netherlands? I mean, here in the States, we really only just hear about what's happening here. How is it affecting the Netherlands? Yeah, it's. I'm actually quite annoyed with the way it has gone. Because I was like, I saw the heavy effects in, in like the East. I know some of the like the way people work in the East, the, the work ethic is like very strict and disciplined. You know, there, there's always you hear a few stories about people working themselves into very high stress levels. And I, and I saw that they 
stopped putting in the work in their in their factories and i just thought like well that was quite unique to me because they they already understood what could happen if they didn't stop this and if they didn't try to nip it in the bud as quickly as possible and in the netherlands what happened was we kept our our borders open we let everybody that came from a dangerous area that was italy we let them come back in and once they were back in once it started to spread we like the netherlands didn't do a lot suddenly <laughs> once they saw that the spot that the the, the that it was just starting to spike and just started raising and kept raising, mm-hmm. rising. They decided to put everybody in a in like an intelligent lockdown, quote unquote. What that meant was that you would lock yourself down once you felt that you were sick. You would only travel if absolutely needed. Let's see what else they did. You could not go into the you could not do your grocery shopping with your family. One of the people of the family had to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could not sit in the same car with three people, but two people was okay. Um, there were just a whole lot of rules, a whole yeah. lot of prerequisites before you could do stuff. And it was kind of getting annoying because it, it just got more complicated than needed. If mm-hmm. they just said like, only go outside when needed and don't go to into the car with like with any other person, just yourself, like that would make it more easier. It was just like, if it's three people, then you can't. If it's two people, then it's okay. But if it's three people of your family, then it's fine. But if it's two people, if it's you and a person of your family and somebody <laughs> from outside the family, then it's not okay. So it it's was confusing. Just really confusing. So people tried to listen. And some people just straight up said like, okay, this is bullshit. I'm not going to listen, which made the thing rise even more. So yeah, it's, it's just, it hit hard because the right steps weren't taken. Yeah. That sounds not too different from how it has been here. I like the phrase intelligent lockdown, although I feel like we've not really taken our lockdowns very intelligently here. In some states, there were declines because there had been lockdown procedures in place. And then the cases kind of still kept spiking, I think, largely because people got tired of staying in the house. Yeah. So where I'm at, I'm in Georgia, in Atlanta, and we were really on lockdown maybe for about three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Like it started at the beginning of April. And then by the end of April, they lifted it and they started reopening different types of businesses in waves. But now our cases are rising just like they're rising in many other states, many mm-hmm. other cities. And so some places were looking to kind of ease up on lockdown things. And now they've gone right back into them. It's uh, the summer here, so people got together for Memorial Day. Then the cases spiked. Now people are probably going to get together for July 4th, Independence Day. Cases are going to spike again. So it's so odd because we are not getting good information from the government. We're getting just a lot of misinformation in general. And so it feels like the smartest thing to do is just stay home. But even that is a privilege in and of itself because people have to work and people have to get out. and. It's just not a feasible thing for people, even if you have these lockdown procedures in place. Then you add on top of that, people protesting because of police brutality and other issues. And it's just been, I don't know, it's just a weird time in history right now. It's a a very weird time. It's a very weird time. But in the Netherlands, I do have to say, with the actions that they took, it's now starting to decline very much. I don't know if it's already at zero per day, but it's declined to like, I think three people going to the hospital in a day, like t- around 10 people going to the hospital at a day. I think three people going to the, to the intensive care and like maybe one or two people dying. But I think we still have around, I think 70, 60,000 people that got Corona. Yeah. And a lot of them, like we, we had like, no, I think we already like are like past a hundred thousands. I think I'm misremembering it with weeks because I haven't watched at the numbers. I haven't looked at the numbers anymore because I just closed myself out. I was just yeah. like, it's the safest to stay inside. But yeah. I did see that we had like around like six thousand to four thousand deaths, so that was kind of hard to see. Yeah, it just felt like if we took other steps, maybe those people wouldn't have died. But right. yeah, same here. So what is a typical day like for you now? I mean, you're not in school anymore. What do you do now from day to day? I just like to keep myself busy creatively. 
I've been dabbling into music in and out. Yeah, personally, like around four years now, I've just been writing stuff and, and trying stuff out and taping stuff and then not taping stuff. And I always wanted to jump into the 3D scene. And I started doing that, like, I think last December, I started working with Cinema 4D. And then later I picked up Blender. And since then, I just try stuff out with Blender. And uh, so in my free time, I'm probably busy with or music or Blender or uh, gaming a little, but a lot less than, uh, than now. I do try to go outside, though, because staying inside kind of messes with my brain. And outside that does help with uh, calming my mind. And yeah. Talk about some of the 3D work. You say you're doing stuff in Cinema 4D and in Blender. Are these like yeah. data visualizations? Or are you doing kind of more advanced modeling or something like that? Sometimes I do try to do modeling. I'm now trying to get into hard surface modeling because I really like the cyberpunk genre. It's one of my favorite genres. I just like the whole visual aspect of it. <laughs> Not so much the world that the people live in because it's <laughs> hyper-capitalist with hyper-cities and, and, and omega-cities and so much yeah, a, a bigger gap between the wealthy and the poor. But mm-hmm. the visuals of it, are I just really like it. So uh, I'm trying to get into hard surface modeling, but usually what I do is look at models online that I like through, uh, I think, TurboSquid, I think the name was called. There you can just find models, and I usually just set up scenes or animate something. I just try out stuff as much as I can. Is that the sort of work that you'd like to be doing, I guess, once things kind of let up in the Netherlands and you're able to get out more? Once I get on the level that I'm proud of every work that I make, or, well, at least proud of most of the work that I make, then I think I'd like to do it a bit more and maybe as a as a real job. But before that, it's just as fun and trying to, I, I'm just trying to find something that I can do as a hobby and that I really like to do because then it keeps kind of my creative energy going. But if I would be able to do it as a job, it would be awesome. I did do a few jobs for people. I, I made a poster for somebody and I made an animation for somebody's, for a music promotion somebody had. So I did have a few jobs, but nothing uh, like real big yet. Gotcha. So for a while, you know, you mentioned being an interaction designer. And as yeah. I did my research, I saw that you were an interaction designer for the Netherlands Cancer Institute. Yes. Can, can you tell me about that experience? Yes, that was actually my graduation project. How I got there was I actually just found it through my school internship bank. They had a whole database of places that you could do an internship at or places you could do a project for. And I saw the Netherlands Cancer Institute and I just reacted because it seemed very challenging, but also very fun, I guess. I just like to challenge myself. So I just thought, let me try it out. And if I won't, don't make it, then I don't make it. But if I make it, then maybe it'll be something awesome. It was something awesome because I got the chance to work for the Netherlands Cancer Institute. They focus on innovation in treating and performing surgery on people with cancer. And I, I got the chance to work on, on a system that you call surgical navigation. Mm-hmm. That's a system that they use to kind of navigate the human body during surgery. And basically, I had to make the interface for that. They created a system, but it didn't have a, an interface yet. They didn't know what it would look like. They, they just had a, it just worked like a, pro, a, a bare bones prototype. Like everything worked that had to work, but it just wasn't very user friendly. So I just started researching the medical world itself because I never worked in the medical world. So I, it was a first for me. So I just started researching, like, what does the UX look like in the medical world? How much do they use it for other surgical navigation systems? How much do they use it in general? And I found out that it's it's not a very, it's not a world that's very connected to the UX. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just mostly companies that sell those systems hardware and software to the hospitals and those hospitals just buy it and use it and they get used to the interfaces. Not all of them are very good, but yeah, I guess they just have to work with it. So what I try to focus on is is amplifying the communication between the two users that the surgical navigation uses because you have the surgeon that performs the surgery and they have a surgical technician that helps the surgeon with navigating that surgical navigation system. The previous system that they had just had a lot of issues that 
created communication issues. So if they wanted to point out a certain spot within the screen, they were just, they couldn't uh, communicate that perfectly. They just had to communicate like, oh, you have to go left, 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 right, right, right. And then yes, here where I'm pointing, that's where it's at. But then they still had to help the person navigate to the point that they pointed towards. So I just tried to fix issues like that and just make the interface more readable, uh, easy to digest, visually appealing. And uh, it was an awesome project. I had awesome teammates. They helped me with also interviewing surgeons. I got to see surgeries with the system. That was also very unique. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. I mean, that sounds like really important kind of work to get into. I mean, you mentioned how challenging it was just from the, you know, it's just kind of from the name of it, like, oh, the Netherlands Cancer Institute. That's really yeah. challenging. But, yeah. you know, oftentimes, and I, I see this just because I end up talking with a lot of young designers, they always want to do something really, really sexy in a way. Like they want to <laughs> work for like a company that has a big name and then they're yeah. maybe working on a product team or something like that. But yeah. I mean, designers are important in a lot of different places, especially in the medical field, because what we're yeah. seeing is that a lot of procedures are being automated or technology has kind of made its way in there. And those yeah. interfaces tend to be so bad and so poorly used, just poorly designed and thought out. Like it's yeah. it's almost as if they were designed, and I, I don't mean to say this to put engineers down, but they were designed by engineers, meaning that it's for yeah. utility and not for aesthetics or ease of use. Yeah. 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 Even like, as you're saying how the surgery takes two people, like this, a surgeon and a surgical tech, like even just that communication between those two has to be a designed interaction, whether you're working with the, you know, with a, a robot surgeon or a user interface or not, like just getting yeah. that together is something where design is really needed. And it's the kind of design that literally, like helps people and saves lives, like for real. Exactly. So that's kind of what interested me a lot because indeed what you say, I just feel like also in my education, I do communication and multimedia, multimedia design. I just feel like a lot of people, not waste their talents, but a lot of people just focus on the pretty things that they can make as in the websites, the apps, the commercial things. But Design is usable in a lot of aspects, in a lot of ways. And I just see that a lot of people are not interested or are scared of stepping into like something like the medical world, like a very complex world. But once the the people also, the people that you work for, like once the, the people at the hospital, once they see that the work that you do can actually help them do their work way better, that's when they start to get more interested and they make time free for you and they try to help you as much as they can. And I think that a world such as such as the medical world actually needs designers to make the work of the surgeons and surgical techs and, and assistants even more easy. Because a lot of a, a lot of interfaces just have a lot of clutter. Like things that are not needed for that are maybe needed for one user but not needed for the other. So why do you show it to both users? Like those kind of things. So I just think that people should uh, do things just to help make the world a better place. And I think design is one of the things that really helps with doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Prior to that, I see that you've interned at a few places. You were at yeah. an agency called Very Rare, yes. Troop Design, Individuals yeah. at AMFI, yeah. AMFI. Yeah. Am I saying that right? AMFI. You're saying that right. Okay. What did these kind of internship experiences teach you? Did they help you? in any sort of way to narrow down what type of design you want to do? Yeah. Most of them helped with my modus operandi. I don't know the right words right now, so I just use modus operandi, the way that I work. I think yeah. that's the right words. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's cool. Yeah. The way that I tackle projects were kind of influenced by places like those. Uh, Troop Design was actually a company that I had with a friend of mine, but I decided to step away from it because I wanted to do something that I felt more aligned with. And once I was at the point that I had the company and that I, that I was working on it, I just felt like I wasn't in the right place in my life. But I did know that through that through that experience, I knew that I do want to be an entrepreneur one day. I do want to have something for myself one day. I do want to help people create something that they love one day. I just need more experience to do it right. Individuals at Amphi, I have like an interest in fashion. I really like 
picking out my clothes and picking out the way that I dress myself, the way that I communicate myself to the world. And uh, with individuals at AMFI, Amsterdam Fashion Institute, I got the chance to work closely in, with people from the fashion industry or people that will work in the future fashion industry. I got to help them with creating a digital experience. Experience design is also something that interests me a lot because you need to focus on the emotions that people could feel or the thoughts that people could have after they use whatever you create. So that was very interesting. And with Very Rare, that it was a company also that dabbled in fashion. I also got the chance to model for them <laughs> for a shoot that they uh, organized. Okay. And what that taught me was how I have to be strict also in my planning. Like if I want to sit down with someone, I should put my foot down and say, we're going to meet on Monday at 10 p.m. And that's or 10 a.m. And that's the time that we meet and, you know, really sit down with people and really communicate the, the deadlines that we have. So I think all of those kind of combined made sure that I started to look at the way that I work and try to implement it in the future. So it always leveled me up, I guess, in a way. <laughs> Let's switch gears here a little bit. Now, we've had designers on the show before who yeah. live in the Amsterdam. They, I'm sorry, they live in the Netherlands in Amsterdam or Rotterdam or, you know, anywhere in the in the Netherlands, but they were from the States. You're actually like born and raised in the Netherlands, Yeah. right? Talk about what that's like. Like, where did you grow up? Were, were tech and design like a big part of your childhood growing up? Yeah. I was born in Amsterdam. I later moved to Almere. But what tech and design were always, I think, a, always a bit of a part of me because I used to have interest in game design. I really liked gaming. So that was something I was big on as a boy. And I always, as a young boy, and I always liked, you know, tech stuff and trying out tech stuff. I, lo I love the internet when it just started, you know, coming up. But you do raise an interesting point as in that I was born and raised here. Like my origins are from Suriname. It okay. was a colony that the Netherlands owned. They were free since 1873, 1973. I'm not sure right now. Let's see. It's uh, I'm going to check it out real quick. Okay. Yes. 18, like officially on paper, we were free on 1863. Uh -huh. But there was a mandatory transition period where the people still had to work for their slave owners. So it actually ended in 1873. And after, oh, wow. that, after that period, the slave owners also got compensated for it. The slaves got nothing. Huh. Yeah. That, sounds, uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a familiar story. Um, yeah. So... It's kind of weird being raised in the country that was a colony of your actually original country or, well, would it be my original if my people weren't slaves? But yeah. that's a whole different, you know, discussion. But like through Twitter, I see the blatant racism in America and how crazy people are with that. Here, you also have those type of people that are blatantly racist. But um, what you will mostly, I think at least from my experience, what you will mostly see here are the, the microaggressions and the sneaky racism, I think, is the best way to call it. Mm -hmm. It's the people that don't say what they think exactly. They just look at you a certain way or treat you a certain way or just communicate with you a certain way. It's kind of like palpable in the air for anybody that's not white. <laughs> uh -huh. But... Yeah, it's just a, a lot of ignorance also here. A lot of white privilege where people just benefit from things and don't own up to benefiting from those things. I'm not trying to make changes. So when I saw the thing happen with George Floyd, I saw the discussion also coming to the Netherlands. I thought this is awesome because now we can finally talk about it and just lay it bare. Because in the Netherlands, we never talk about it. It's just always silenced instantly. It's just like, no, there's not. It's not the same as in America. Like, that's what they was, will say. Uh, mm. We had a lot of Black Lives Matter protests also here. And I think it's finally time that the Netherlands owns up to the history that it had, changes also the way that they portray the history, because the golden century, they call it, for the Netherlands was the time where they were pillaging, plundering people, where they were selling people where they were 
actually busy with stealing from people. So it's kind of, they kind of hit it in the words. Like they, they put the slavery part, they, they put it away. They don't tell the monstrosities. They don't tell the stories of freedom fighters. They don't tell anything about black history. Mm-hmm. They just kind of hide it and don't talk about it and just ignore it. I think that this generation is kind of done with that silence. And now that we have social media and we finally have a voice, we can amplify our voices. So we just use it. So you see a lot of things changing and shifting around here. And the discussion of racism is is, is getting bigger. And I just hope things will start to change so my children won't have to go through the same racist stuff that I went through. You know, bullied as a kid. Like the cops also, also racially profiled me a few times. It's not fun. And it's kind of... It's hurtful to to teach your kid to just that they will be hated for no reason, just because of the way they look. You just have to teach them like, hey, listen, just because of the way you look, some people will hate you for no reason. It's best if you don't go like more down south, because even in the Netherlands, where you go more down south, they will be more racist. But even at the top, if you go more huh. up top or north, like Richting uh, Groningen, Groninger, I don't know the right pronunciation for you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're American, so I'm no, no, you, no, use your pronunciation. Yeah, once you go there, there's also a lot of ignorance. Yeah, and people assume that once they have a black partner, a black child, once they have black friends, that racism, that they are exempt from racism, uh-huh. and they use that usually. They just they just use what they have to kind of say like, oh, I'm not, I can be racist because I have friends that are this and that. Hmm. And I think it's finally the time that people are starting to realize, like, even those friends that you had had racist experiences and were hurt by maybe words that you said, but never said it because we didn't want to be the annoying guy, you know, because they always see you as that one person, the one that's always ruining the fun between quote unquote, the fun, you know? Yeah. I just hope things will change. And, and, you know, it's sad that George Floyd you know, lost his life and that it went the way that it did. But the loss of his life was a catalyst for speaking up against racial issues all over the world. Because I see this wave of Black Lives Matter and people standing up for their rights. I see that all over the world. So that's kind of beautiful to see. And I hope that we keep this energy and just change things finally. Me too. Well said. Are there any like particular challenges that you've had to face as a Black designer? I think... People always underestimate me, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I do have the feeling that maybe they, they don't expect me to take it more seriously or because sometimes I can be maybe somewhat of a, not a clown, but I crack a few jokes and I'm always lighthearted. And like maybe people think that I won't be a serious designer. But if I look at my peers, I feel like, I'm one of the most serious designers and I take my work like very seriously and I deep dive into everything that I do. So I do feel like that the way they look at me has an effect that maybe the way they grade me at times, but I've also had times where I worked so hard that my grades like flew off the handle that I, you know, I I always aim for perfection and I'm happy with the good. Yeah. I think that's kind of what saved me. And I also have like an amazing mother who always supports me with school and would always stand behind my back if I had issues. So that kind of helped me go through all those racist experiences. But as a designer, I haven't had a lot of uh, directly racist moments. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I haven't seen it because I, I just saw... So I just saw so much racist shit that maybe sometimes the little things were like, oh, whatever. And then you just yeah. go on, you know, at a point you're just like, oh, I'm not going to look at every little racist thing that I uh, experience. Yeah. But I think on design wise, it was less so as a person, more so. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think I'm not saying I think I know because I'm a, I'm a black man, too. So I know like stuff happens so frequently that you don't always want to be the person saying something or sometimes things happen so frequently that it almost doesn't even phase you when it does happen. Like you've ended up growing a thick enough skin to where it happens and it just sort of 
bounces off or it doesn't register or if it does register, it's not a huge deal that's going to bring your whole day down, but it's just something exactly. that you kind of need to be, uh, need to be aware of. So I definitely understand that. Speaking of, of grades, let's talk about, uh, your time at Hoag School. Am I saying that right? Hoag School? Uh, Van Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. The, the English version is the University of Applied Sciences. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me about your time there at the University of Applied Sciences. Yeah. Like, what made you decide to go there? In the Netherlands, we have like a, I don't know what to call it. It's like a transition between high school and, oh, not maybe college. Like, okay. I, I went through college, like MBO. I don't know. It's like a middle school level. I, I don't know how to explain this in English, but anyway. It's like, a, I, it's like a period between high school and college? Yeah, I guess so. I guess that is the best way maybe to explain it because in the Netherlands, the Hogeschool, the University of Applied Sciences, is called high school, actually. Okay. The di- like Hogeschool, the direct translation of that is high school. High school, okay. Or, uh, high school. So I think, but I think it's on the level of college in, mm. in uh in America, maybe it's on the level of university. Maybe I'm not getting it right because it's called it's, the university. It's, it's pretty much the same thing here. Yeah, university and college tends to be tend to be used interchangeably for any like four year period of higher education learning outside of secondary school, which is like twelfth yeah. grade, well ninth through twelfth grade, something like that. Okay. Okay. Well, then I went through two colleges. I had a like a lower level one, and then I went to like the University of Applied Sciences. Okay. My time there, yes, I felt, I think, lonely. I didn't see a lot of people of my skin color. That was kind of sad to see. So every non-white person that I saw, I would, well, not cling on, but I would instantly talk to them because I saw, you know, I had a group of people that were maybe like-minded or maybe I could resonate better with. There was a lot of ignorant racism where people just said things where, you know, in college, you know, the, at the parties and the things people say and the things people expect are kind of, you know, tiring. I always really focused on school before anything else. So I just, I was just like, I'm not going to let anyone stop me from getting this degree. And I just, I, I just powered through it. And I, I just hope to see more of my people like, in those higher degrees, you know, in college and, and busy with finishing and, and getting those grades and getting those degrees. Because it's just sad to see that that every time I walked through the corridors, I just saw only white faces. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a black designer I could look up to or a black teacher that understood what I felt if I felt down because of racism or, you know, it just felt like I had to code switch all the time. It was just, uh, you know, I had to put up a mask all the time. Now that I'm free, I've just refused to put on a mask. So I also got a job, even though it was COVID-19, I, I got hired. So mm-hmm. at my new job, I'm, I'm not going to hide who I am. You know, I like to speak out about black issues. I am an activist on social media. Uh, I do speak out about the issues that I see. And I do share the stories that I experience and uh, the stories of other people that I find need their voices amplified. And I, I'm kind of done hiding that because I just feel like if I hide that part of myself, then I'm I'm not being myself. I'm not being truthful. So Yeah. And you've worked hard to get to that point too. Exactly. So that's kind of like what I noticed. Like this whole experience through college, I'm not going to hide this voice that I have anymore. You know, I'm just gonna speak out more about it and be more out in the open about the way that I think and the way that I feel and the black issues that I have experienced. And I feel like that is needed. Yeah. Is diversity and inclusion like a big talking point there in the creative industry? <laughs> diversity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like the diversity is kind of now like to tick off a box. So I've mm-hmm. had like positive racism because I model sometimes, you know, in my free time. And I think through positive racism, because they need to check off a, a diversity box, I got a few jobs. So there's that. I don't know. People do claim that they are focused on diversity and including, but I just don't see a lot of actions. So now I see mostly people like me starting up initiatives to talk to other black creatives and get that scene 
give that scene more recognition and get people more connected with each other. It's called like a show. I was actually invited, but I was too scared to go because because I didn't want to travel with the train uh, because <laughs> because I'm scared of COVID nineteen of getting. Mm-hmm. But it's called the new normal. They focus on like connecting black creatives or POC creatives, you know. So that's it's nice to see those uh, kind of initiatives. The new normal. I like that. Yeah. How would you sort of describe? And I guess you know I'm thinking mostly where you're at in Automera, but in the Netherlands, like how would you describe the design style or perspective there? I think like the Netherlands, it's kind of as I said, a double-edged sword. You know, you have racism here. You have a lot of institutional things that can mess it up if you're not white, like the way people look at you once you walk in with one white parent, whereas they look at you very differently once you walk in with a black parent, you know? Mm. So those kind of things. But what I've noticed is the Netherlands is a very design-centered country. A lot of design comes from the Netherlands, even when, like, even if you think like something like Blender. Blender was created by a Dutchman, you know? A sketch created by a Dutchman. You know, those, like, those are big companies that are initiatives that started, like, from the Netherlands. And the more that I look into it, the more that I see that a lot of, you know, from this small country, a lot of design comes and just, how do I say it? It's just in, in all fronts. It's not just digital. It's also in, in architectural because then you look at uh, the bridges, like we have bridges that open up once a boat comes through. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that people always marvel over when they're here. And to me, it's just like, you know, it's just another bridge that opens. But for people <laughs> that, are, that come from the outside, they're like, holy shit, what? You know, it's always a, a surprise to them. So that's kind of cool to hear and cool to see. But yeah, a very design-centric country. I, I really don't know what else to say. It's just so many, there's so much design just rotating here and just that has its roots here also. That's it's It just blows my mind still. Yeah. When I think of of Dutch design, and, and maybe that's because here in the states, the design education tends to come from a more Eurocentric. Well, it comes actually comes totally from a Eurocentric point of view. It's like yeah. Swiss design, German design, uh-huh. French. You know, Dutch design. I feel like always has a bit of like whimsy or humor <laughs> to it in a way. Yeah, I guess Dutch people do like to tackle like issues with humor. Uh-huh. But that's also an issue because a lot of the racist things that they say, they try to get away with with it by saying that it was a joke. Oh. It was just a joke. It's not a serious thing. You shouldn't yeah. take it seriously. I didn't mean it, but you know. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it does also translate in the design. I think Dadaism is something that wasn't that a Dutch collective? I no, it was a German collective. But I think there were a few Dutch designers in it too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about the way that it's portrayed in the in the American society. I feel like in Am- <laughs> in, in America, we think probably. I mean, it's it's mostly Amsterdam, so people probably yeah. think weed, of course, tulips, stroopwafels. Tulips are great. <laughs> are great. I, I might, I might just be throwing out random Dutch shit right now, but like I feel yeah. like it's a it's a lot of uh it's minimalism that I guess is very similar to Swiss design, but it, it tends to be more I don't know, the design aesthetic tends to be more I don't know, it just has a bit more humor to it, I think, than than maybe someone would see with Swiss or German design. Like and this is me speaking for someone who has never been to design school. So people <laughs> listening, please take this with a grain of salt. But I feel yeah. like German design tends to be rather cool slash cold. And then yeah, maybe, Swiss maybe design's kind of neutral, but then Dutch design's <laughs> a little humorous. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe like the, the way that you say like neutral and, and like cold, maybe that's kind of also because of the history behind some of those countries. That's true. That could be that could be part of it. The German history with (laughs) with the Americans is not like very uh, a very friendly history or something. Yeah, that's that's true. Maybe that's also the feeling that you get 
well, when she looked at the design. Because yeah. I think the the thing that you say about the whimsy and the, and the funny, I think that that's also comes from like the the wooden shoes, mm, the clogs, yeah, <laughs> the clogs are or I don't know what the right word is, but that's also a funny thing that people also associate the Netherlands also with with that. But there's only a few people that really wear that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, you're a black man that lives in the Netherlands. How yeah. have different cultures kind of helped contribute to Dutch design in terms of like changing it in any sort of way? Wow, that's actually really hard for me to answer because I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I do know that there are companies like uh, Daily Paper that's uh, owned by three African men, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. that are born in the Netherlands. Also, if I'm correct, I'm not sure if they were born in the Netherlands, but they do live in the Netherlands right now. That is kind of making waves in the fashion industry because of the way that it portrays also the way that it uses like the the African prince or, or maybe tribes that live in Africa and how they uh, connect that to the current fashion industry or how they connect that to another concept that they, uh, that they want to show to the world. So in fashion, I think those kind of people have a fact. Ah, okay. So okay. in the Netherlands, you have, a, I'm sorry, I just had to like get my thinking straight. Like where, where do I want to go? But in the Netherlands, you have a, a very big hip hop scene also. And within that hip hop scene, it's mostly populated by, you know, POC. Yeah. And the music is very much influenced by people's cultures and the way that people dress. And if you then go look into uh, like street culture, the languages that are used within street culture in the Netherlands are a mix of like Moroccan, Surinamese, uh, Papiamento, that's from like the, the Caribbean islands. Papiamento, I think. Uh, I, sorry, my people. No, 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 that's right. It's Papiamento. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I say, if I'm saying it right. It's like a mix of those languages mixed with Dutch. So. Yeah, it's like then, Portuguese and Dutch kind of ex- mixed exactly. together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but like you, the street, the street language. If I say the street language, uh, quote unquote, because it's not street language; it's just those languages mixed. But white people call it street language, mm. <laughs> which is also annoying. But they just usually loan words from all those different languages and use that to communicate with each other. And sometimes words are also flipped and. I'm just seeing that's used a lot between the younger generations and they just, the way of communication is very much affected by, by culture and the way of clothing and the, the way of music. So I think in that way, I, I see a lot of influence from cultures in the design way. I'm going to be honest. I haven't really focused on that aspect and how that has affected Dutch design because I haven't focused on Dutch design. I was mm-hmm. mostly just busy with digital design, which is a very like international world. It kind of was not in my scope, I guess. Now you got me curious about this this Dutch hip hop that you're yeah. mentioning now. Because <laughs> like here in the United States, I mean, you know, hip hop and music tend to be, they tend to go hand in hand with design in some respect, yeah. like a lot of designers here. And maybe this is the way all over the world, but like a lot of designers are influenced by music because of, you know, posters and album covers, CD covers, et cetera. There tends to be a lot of correlation between music and design, really music and technology, but music and design in specific. Like even Mm -hmm. there's like music terms that end up making their way into design, like remixing something or, Mm -hmm. or sampling or something to that effect where it's a term that's used in both. So I'm thinking like the first time I think I was cognizant about music and design together was probably, well, two things. One, it was Vibe magazine in the nineties here. I'm from Alabama. I'm from like the, the deep South here in the United States. And the only kind of lifeline that we had really to the outside world were magazines and cable TV. And we didn't yeah. have cable. So all I really had were magazines. Oh, so I would get Vibe magazine and that would be my sort of outlet into the world. But like looking at the ads and the covers and the photography and the yeah. fashion of hip hop made yeah. me really interested in design. 
Yeah. I'd say the second thing was <laughs> was the music from No Limit Records, which is Master P, Juvenile, C Murder, Silk the Shaka, Lil mm-hmm. Wayne, mm-hmm. etc. The album covers were always done in this really like gaudy, ostentatious art with like these big big serif letters that were diamonds and gold and like all the album covers had a very similar layout, but they were like different colors, different images or something like that. And like, it stood out so much against every other CD cover that you would see because most CD covers, it's like an image and just a few words over it. But this was like a masterpiece, like a (laughs) a gaudy masterpiece. And like, that was when I really started to see how, like music, specifically hip hop, sort of yeah. influenced design in that sort of way. Because when I first started to learn how to use Photoshop, one of the first things I tried to make were those CD covers. Like, how <laughs> do I amazing. do that? How do I curve the text like that? And how do I make it in that in that same kind of way? But now I'm interested yeah. to, to check out some Dutch hip hop and see if there's there's like correlations there between design and and music there. Yeah. You know what, what happens a lot is maybe you hear this a lot, but America has a lot of influence, like all throughout the world, mm-hmm. uh, especially the music scene from America has a lot of influence in the music scene in the Netherlands. Like artists are, are very much influenced by people's flows, the way people use their voice, the way people film their music videos. But you also see a lot of people that get influenced by it and do something original with it and create their own style with it. And you have others that are just trying to find their way and just looking at what the American uh, artists do and just use that to try and create their own, try and create their own flow, but accidentally just kind of copying it. So I think that like in that music world, I'm not the best person to talk about it, but mm-hmm. I think that originality is hard to find because a lot of things have been done already. So to be original, you have to do something that has been done already, but maybe just a little bit differently or just mix it with something else. And then it's suddenly something new, something fresh, you know, such yeah. as I see like the, the UK, the UK drill suddenly went to the US also, but also in the Netherlands, we have like our own drill artists now, you know? So that's kind of like the way that I see black cultures all over the world kind of sharing, I think there are new waves with each other. Mm-hmm. I just see it moving through, like through all out the world. Every time that a black person from one country does something and it becomes like popular, I just see it moving around the world, you know, and just yeah. making waves within the black communities there. And then the other communities also look at it or maybe a black artist does it and the other community gets, gets inspired by it, you know? Yeah. So, I think I, ju- I just see a lot of people getting inspired by each other all around the world. And that in turn sometimes creates something original and new and sometimes doesn't. I'll admit, you know, I was doing my research on you. And one of the things that I did, I do this with mostly every guest is I'll yeah. go to YouTube and I'll search for their name. Cause I'll try <laughs> to see if they've like done a talk or something, or if there's a video just so I can get a sense of like their personality or what they may be interested in. So I ran across this music video that I think you were a part of, and correct oh. me if I'm wrong here, yeah. is a, from an artist called Aquasi, a song called Extas. Yeah, Extasa, yeah, yeah. It's, How did that like come ecstasy. about? Yeah. Uh, I know an amazing stylist called Jean-Paul Paula. He is a, a, a black queer stylist who is like also very activistic. So he always... That, that's what I kind of love about him. He always talks about uh, black experiences, queer experiences on a story. And he, he doesn't fuck around with it. He's like straight up in your face. Like, this is it. If he has an issue with you, he shares that he has an issue with you. He exposes you. If you say racist things, you're like, you don't, you can't hide with him. And yeah. You can't, you know, go around it, you know? So suddenly one day I got a DM from him. And he asked me if I wanted to be part of like uh, that music video. And it was kind of in light of like, like we have a tradition or we, the Netherlands, the Dutch people have a tradition here called Sinterklaas. Maybe you've heard of it. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? it's, yeah, I've, I've heard of Zwarte Piet. I've seen 
depictions of it. Um, I actually yeah. was in a Zoom happy hour like maybe a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that and like the depiction of it. Yeah. So that is something that I don't know why, but Dutch people like fight for it, like fight for it for real. But it's getting banned soon. It's something that I heard. I see it getting banned in in cities because uh, because of the Black Lives Matter movement and the the protests, the anti-racist protests are like riling up also here. So Mm -hmm. we want to see change. We want to see this shit change because it's not okay to keep depicting a racist figure into something that should be for all children because they say, what about the children, quote unquote? Mm -hmm. The black children have been bullied with that shit. I have been bullied with that shit even when I was in high school. So like it's, it's not, yeah, but yeah, they never understood it. But in light of like, in light of like police brutality, like Swarte Beat, Akwasi, the artist, wanted wanted a, a music video that kind of fit that theme. So Jean-Paul Paula sat together with a few others and they created the concept for the video. And then I got asked if I wanted to be in the video. And that's kind of how I how I got into that. Wow. <laughs> it's interesting as I was watching the video, and for people listening, I'll put um, a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. But even just, I mean, I didn't understand the language, but just looking yeah. at the imagery, like the stark black and white imagery and the depictions, mm-hmm. I think there was a, I think there was a clan hood, if I remember yeah. on at yeah. one part yeah. of it, like yeah. a lot of it, you know, even though I didn't necessarily understand the language, I felt it like just because the experiences that were depicted were very shared, unfortunate, but a, a shared experience among black people throughout the diaspora. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because even though we're in the Netherlands, like a lot of people say, it's not the same as in America, but we still have police brutality. We still have people that have been killed by the police that have suffered at the hand of the police. So when somebody dies, someone black, someone that looks like me, someone that could have been me, when that person dies, even if it's around the whole globe, or even if it's around the globe and it's somebody that doesn't even live in my country, I feel it. But yeah. People, some people just don't understand that and they yeah. will never understand it because we can't explain that feeling to them. You know, it's really hard to explain a feeling that you grow up with. Right. Because like I, cause, cause it's more than just the death. It's more than that. It's knowing the totality of the experiences of that you've had to deal with as a black person in your country, in this country, in any country that exactly. led up to that, you know, like the circumstances that happened because of the systemic racism, you know, throughout yeah. the system that have led to, unfor- you know, this unfortunate end. So I feel yeah. like that's why it's so powerful. That's why the mm-hmm. connection is so powerful for a lot of people, because we really could be that person, you know, yeah. degrees or money or anything like that. Like none of that means anything because in the, like in a instant that could be you if yeah, it's like exactly. wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so my mother also thought uh, taught me like when you see when you see the police just go just go away it doesn't matter where just go yeah. you know yeah. just stay away from that if if, if i was going out my mother always said when you see the police just leave mm-hmm. don't do anything and mm-hmm. and if they ask you to do something just do it don't try to fight back don't do anything just do what they say you know so learning that you know every day learning that I get to I get told that every day that I went out and knowing that white people never taught their kids like, hey, by the way, watch out for the cops and do this and do that and go through hoops for them and do everything that they say, you know, it's kind of angering also and annoying, you know, because yeah. that's already the biggest difference. Like, why do you not get taught at home that you should watch out for the cops? Why are they a danger for me when they should protect me? You know? Yeah. There's oh, a, yeah, there's just a, there's like a level of hypervigilance that you have to have in every situation. And it's tiring. It's like yeah. walking around with your muscles tensed all day, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And then the problem is I was like, the police were supposed to protect me. But then, you know, I saw the history of how it was set up in America. And then I thought like, well, if that is the system that was set up, then it wasn't made to protect me. Yeah. Because, because the way it was set up was just to punish the free slaves that had no work once they stole a banana because they were hungry. Like, what kind of system is that? That's not to protect anyone. It's just to punish somebody that tries to survive, that tries to live. You so, know? so that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So one question that I've I've been asking everyone this year, this year being 2020, 2020 is sort of one of those years that kind of sticks out, I think, in the collective mind of being like the future. And so I've been asking people, you know, this question, how are you using your skills to help build a more equitable future? Right now, I'm just trying to communicate and connect with people that that could help with creating safe spaces for black designers, black creatives, because I, as a black designer, I just see that I think a lot of black designers that feel alone just kind of need that. They need a place where they can feel safe, where they can communicate freely and not feel like they're the odd one out, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do that, but I'm also just trying to get the experience that is needed to start up my own company. And from there on out, create something where uh, black designers, black creatives, black everything could just work under that wing and just create a place for us and where we always can come together, where we can always help each other, where we can just feel safe and just maybe just live our lives uh, the way we're supposed to, just carefree. Yeah. Where do you see yourself for the next five years? In the next five years, I'm probably busy with trying to get rid of my student debt. (laughs) That's the first (laughs) thing. But uh, I think probably living together with my girlfriend, buying a house. That's one of the goals within five years. I think it could be possible. No, it's definitely possible. Yeah, trying to build for the future and just getting that experience that is needed to, to build for that and connecting with the right people because I just know people in good places that that are working very hard to create safe spaces for, for Black and uh, POC people. I think that is, that's what we need. We need people that, that work for that future, that future where uh, the kids of the future can hopefully just uh, have a more carefree life, a life where we less about racist implications or racist, racist employers or racist anything, and where they can just live their lives and just focus on what they want to do without thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the only black person there or, oh, I'm going to be the only this and that. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Tevin, where can our yeah. audience find out more about you and about your work online? I have my uh, portfolio website, www.stuerland.nl. I'm going to I'm gonna type that to you because I, I think it's going to be hard for uh, American people to, to type that Stuerland. Yeah, you, can just, you right? can just spell it out. Yeah. <laughs> S-T-W-R-L-A-N-D dot okay. N-L. Stuerland. You can find me there. You can add me on LinkedIn, Tevin, and then Stuerland again. Those are the places where you can reach out to me the most. Yeah, I also have an Instagram, Lost in Virtuality. That's where I post, you know, about my personal stuff. I usually post about racism. I post my 3D art. I post about my life, my family. Yeah, so those are the places where you can find me. All right. Sounds good. Well, Tevin Stirland, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you really just for sharing your perspective about being a Black designer in the Netherlands. I mean, when I first kind of was doing my research, I was trying to find just more international voices to have on the show. But hearing that like you just came out of school, and I feel like you're at this very pivotal point right now in your like life and career. Yeah, like you're just out of school. There's still this pandemic shit that's going on, but like the sense that I get from talking with you is that you know, like you've got your head on straight. You know what you want to do. You know the differences that you want to make in the world, the impact that you want to have. And I think honestly, having that at your age right now, if I had that when I was 25, there's no telling what I could have done like in the world. I mean, the fact that you already have that clear of a vision now will do you well moving forward. So hold on to that. Definitely hold on to that. But yeah, man, thank thank you. you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was my first time. I hope I communicated myself and my ideas well. I hope that that it was helpful for people also to kind of get the right image of the Netherlands in their mind. It's definitely not as not as intense as America because America is very polarizing, very heavy, but the racism and everything is still here and people will still judge you and you just got to power through it and we're working hard on changing that and making it a better place. 
big thanks to Tevin Sterland. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Tevin and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us today at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.